The writing's on the wall, ladies and gentle nerds. In today's episode of The Byword, we discuss our all-time favorite comic book writers. The Byword starts now. Welcome to a new episode of the Nerd Byword Podcast, episode 112. In today's Byword Big Talk, Chris and I will be discussing our all-time favorite comic book writers. But before we jump into our Big Talk, it is, as always, time for... Now, Chris, uh, I have a funny feeling that I need to just go ahead and take a nap while you go on a 10-minute rant, so (laughs) you have the floor. Okay. Full spoilers for the season finale of Ms. Marvel. Uh, One particular line of dialogue in episode 6, which was titled No Normal, caused reverberating explosions amongst fans across the globe. Kamala's BFF slash possible love interest slash guy in the chair tells uh, Bruno tells Kamala that he has compared her DNA to that of her family, continuing that assumption, the assumption that her updated power set has simply been passed down via genetics. He then delivers the line that shook the fandom to its core. Quote, Kamala, there's something different in your genes, like, like a mutation, end quote. While at first one might be able to dismiss this as a cute little Easter egg or another tease for starved mutant fans, The line is immediately followed by a single ditty from the upcoming X-Men 97 animated series, a continuation of the iconic 90s show. Subsequent interviews by both the cast and creative teams have confirmed that this is indeed the real thing, baby. For context, Kamala Khan's comic book origins classify her as an inhuman, undergoing a powerful transformation via pterogenesis from the pterogen mists. First appearing in her idol, Carol's book, Uh, Captain Marvel 14 in August of 2013, Kamala went on to star in her own inaugural solo series the very next year. The last gasp of a dying breed, let's be honest, Kamala has shouldered the load of the entire Inhumans franchise, which has gone nearly five years without a single title in publication. Couple that with the apocalyptic disaster that was ABC's 2017 Inhuman series, and it's all but over for the Kree experimentees. Here are a few of the aforementioned follow-up interviews. First, let's hear from the star herself, Iman Balani, who plays Kamala, who spoke to fans via a Reddit AMA. I quote, Don't get me wrong, I love the Inhumans. Black Bolt is my father, but I do think the MCU is in a very different place than the comics were, and so we're actually able to do the, to go this way with Kamala. And to be fair, the original intent for the char- comic character was to make her a mutant, so I'm over the moon that this is real and we could make it happen. Sanaa Amanat and I were freaking out. Every single brain cell exploded. When we found out we can do this, I was literally refreshing the episode six discussion thread on here until someone finally mentioned it. End quote. And she's Kamala. Like, what more of a pitch perfect casting? Um, And then uh, she also mentioned co-creator Sanaa Amanat. And this is her on the change via comicbook.com. Quote. We've been talking about it for some time. Here's a really important thing that people do not know. 
when we were thinking about the character of Kamala back, back, back in the day in 2012, 2013, when Willow, G. Willow Wilson, comic book writer, and myself were ideating, we originally wanted to make her a mutant. That was the whole intention to be able to do that, end quote. One final thing. Welcome to the family, Kamala. We love you. So what do you want me to say to this? <laughs> <laughs> so so the, 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 sh- the long or short end of this is that I really don't have any strong feelings one way or another about this. Um, whether she is a mutant or an inhuman on, on you know, sort of the ground level situation doesn't really matter to me. Um, I love the character. I, I, I love her characterization. I love how she interacts with the people around her. Um, I remember there was a very, very cool crossover issue where she uh, had this lengthy interaction with Wolverine, which was absolutely, you know, hilarious and, and fun. Um, and we're talking about the Logan Wolverine here. Um, so I, I'm not opposed to her having an association with like mutantdom, um, as long as that doesn't lead to like a major change in her characterization, obviously. Um, I guess my only one concern about this is that, uh, and I mentioned this to you before we even started recording today, um, that I am not, if <laughs> despite my best efforts, I've still not managed to get into this whole Krakoa era really. And so, um, you know, the X-Men status quo I'm most used to is not really around in the comic books anymore. So if there's some kind of MCU backwash here um, where they decide to retcon her into a mutant and start really closely associating her with the current run of X-Men comic books, that I might actually lose uh, the ability to follow that because despite repeated efforts, I really just can't get into um, the, the current era of X-Men comic books. So I'm hoping that mutant or inhuman, that she continues to sort of stand, you know, alone, sort of, you know, continues her association more with the the, the Marvels, you know, the, the Carol Danvers and all that, um, because that is a corner of the Marvel comics that I'm, I've become really familiar with. Um, I've read a crap ton of comics in that area and, and I can continue to follow her, but I just don't want, you know, I don't want the X-Men to take my girl away from me. <laughs> yes. Our, our, as you called it, my radical mutant agenda. Um, <clears throat> and in all honesty, there has been some, uh, I think we call it the MCUification of the comics like that has happened, but there are still distinct differences <clears throat> that have remained pretty like significantly uh, solely in the, uh, in like the film or TV series franchise. So like it's a possibility. I just don't think like the ethos of the character of Kamala is a very street level one. And so I don't think that there's going to be a massive shakeup on that. Um, Some friends and I were talking online and our dream would be to like, if they do want to include her in like mutant affairs, if you will, to be like a Marvel team up book. And like, I think they, and they relaunched that with her and and Peter uh, a couple of years ago, but I think like, she's the one to carry this on. And I I just think, um, you know, kind of strip this down from like, um, from just like a business model. I think it's a completely genius thing for, you know, we've been speculating for how long, how are they going to introduce X-Men? How are they going to introduce mutants into the MCU? And I can't think of a better like ambassador for mutantdom than Kamala. She's like the probably the most popular character she's undoubtedly the most popular character that's been created maybe at both of the big two in the last 10 years like undoubtedly like she's a superstar like why would you not want to attach your train to her so i think she's a perfect introduction into the mcu it works so much um i i 
there's a possibility that this will change things in the comics, but like, I don't think it's like a hard, fast thing. Um, simply because like, she's got so much established already, but like, you know, uh, I'm not one way or the other about it. I'm, I'm just excited for, uh, what we see going forward with the Marvels and her story continuing. Cause like, this is super exciting. Yeah, she just doesn't need to move to Mars and like you know. <laughs> like, it's Arako, Dave. Arako. I don't. I don't think I need her living on Arako. I, you know, like you know, keep 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 her uh, the the Kamala Khan stories kind of in the vein that they've been. This would be my thing. Not that she hasn't gone cosmic before, but you know, it's just that would be my preference, anyways, in the comics. Yeah, I think she and Peter both are are best served as street level stuff. And that's why, you know, when, when those are the stories they tell, uh, that's been my, my biggest praise of the current Zeb Wells run on amazing. Say what you will about the editorial mandates of can't be with MJ or he's got to be broke again. Um, But the return to street level stuff with tombstone, that's, that's chef's kiss for me. Yeah, I can agree with that. All right. uh, More MCU news, Dave, what you got? Yeah, you know, it's no secret that I'm a big fan of the uh, Netflix slate of um, Marvel series. I uh, absolutely adored all three series, uh, all three seasons of Daredevil. Um, weaknesses notwithstanding in the, in, in the second season, still adored it. Um, I'm a huge Jessica Jones fan. I really liked uh, especially the first season of, of Luke Cage. We're not, we're not discussing Iron Fist here, are we? Uh, I'm not aware of any series there. Um, anyway, so... Uh, my hope has been for a long time that some of these uh, actors and characters will get a chance to uh, return uh, at some point soon. And thankfully, it's looking like we're getting more Charlie Cox and Winston D'Onofrio, uh, as both are set to um, reprise their roles as Daredevil and Kingpin in the upcoming um, Echo series, which is, you know, uh, quite something. Um Obviously, there have been a lot of rumors going around, and there's even been a little bit of like hints uh, and confirmations that there is a Daredevil project of some sort that's going to be coming to Disney Plus at some point, I'm guessing. Um, but this is sort of the first real strong, concrete uh, continuation, I guess, um, although we're not 100% sure if it's in the same continuity necessarily, of those two characters um, you know, meeting again the way it looks in, in the Echo series. And and that is uh, is really, really, really um, uh, exciting. Uh, there have been rumors as well that um, uh, Jessica Jones, uh, Kristen Ritter, is uh, standing by to pop up in Echo as well um, as some kind of appearance, although that's not been confirmed. Um, so you know, here's, here's hoping. I mean, the best thing that we can say is that the Netflix shows, although... Uh, overall darker than a lot of the, what what the rest of the MCU has done um ha- have produced some of the finest i think storytelling with those characters i i think cox as as daredevil is absolutely inspired um i think donofrio as wilson fisk is chef's kiss perfection and kristen ritter as jessica jones is is awesome plain and simple i'm a huge jessica jones fan um and I just want to see these characters somehow continue. I would love to see a big screen Daredevil movie. Um, I, I think Kristen Ritter, Kristen Ritter's Jessica Jones should be in everything. I know there were rumors for a while that she might pop up in, in She-Hulk. I, I sure hope so. I just want to see her somewhere. 
Um, so confirmation uh, on Charlie Cox and Winston D'Onofrio, but you know I'm still waiting for the Kristen Ritter of it all. And and God knows we need some more Luke Cage in our life because if if Kristen Ritter's coming around, then you know we we need Luke Cage back as well. Yeah, this is funny because <clears throat> I realized last night that I never watched Jessica Jones uh, past the first episode. Like I watched it when it premiered and then just got sidetracked on something else. So I rewatched the first episode last night. Um, and uh, man, it's dark. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was that was that was a rough watch that first episode, especially with that ending. Um, but I'm, I'm I'm excited to continue on because um, I've heard I've heard so much about it, um, particularly of of David Tennant's portrayal as as the Purple Man. So um, yeah, I'm really excited for this show in particular because aside from the Kate Bishop and um, and um, the Yelena of it all, the the mac and cheese scene was far and away the best part of Hawkeye. But you remove the two of them. My favorite thing about Hawkeye, uh, the most compelling thing, was undoubtedly Alakwa Cox as Echo. Like this this new character that has really kind of, uh, you know, I've, I've not been reading Avengers for the Thor's mom of it all. But... Um, you know, I There's know so that, many your mama jokes in that. Yeah, uh, so I know that Echo is like imbued with the Phoenix Force now, and like has really shot up the charts as like one of the stars on the Avengers team. So I think I'm going to eventually try and read Avengers again, simply because I'm interested in that character, especially ahead of this series. So I'm very, very excited about this because um, for me the third season of daredevil was probably the pinnacle and that final showdown in particular, that three-way fight between daredevil, uh, Kingpin and bullseye and talk about like, that's another one. The, the guy that played bullseye, I don't have his name in front of me right now, but that was an absolutely terrifying in the best possible way arc. So like I, that was really well done. Um, I thought, I thought season three was, was far and away the best part of it. Um, lulled a little bit that's my only like criticism i guess you could say of like the netflix series i think they're a tad too long and i think i think there's like a right spot because i think some of these disney plus shows six episodes it's not enough we talked about that in the pacing with lp1 kenobi but i think like there's like a fresh in between maybe it's eight or nine episodes or i think we even said this previously take as many episodes as you need don't do too, don't, you know, do too, don't make it too short. Don't do too many. We don't need Karen Page going back to West Virginia. Who the crap cares about that? Um, but yeah, so I'm very excited about this show. Um, and, I'm, and I'm ready to dive more into the comic book counterpart of the character as well. Yeah, I'm ready for the show. I think it's, uh, it's good news, man. Alrighty, folks, that's it for Nerd News. Stick around after this, our first break. It's time for the Big Talk when we discuss some of our all-time favorite writers. And we're back, folks. And as always, it is time to have an in-depth discussion about one particular nerd niche and this week, it's all about writers in this week's So, heck yeah, Chris, uh, this is a topic that I uh, really enjoy. Um, we have uh, talked a lot about favorite elements in various comic books and best 
runs and all sorts of stuff. But getting into the nitty gritty and talking about writers and artists, that's that's always uh, one of my all time favorite topics. So what we have done uh, for this episode is both Chris and I have selected our top three uh, favorite writers working right now. Um, obviously, we have not read every comic book ever, so there is a very good chance that our things that are escaping us. Um, obviously, we're also a little bit on the older side. So you young whippersnappers with your rising stars, <laughs> uh, it's very possible that some of our favorites are maybe a little on the older side. Um, that's because, you know, we've been around the block a few times. Uh, we've each selected three as well as sort of a, a bonus uh, that we wanted to mention, even though that writer didn't quite crack our top three. So, Chris, who is your first favorite writer. So I think um, I wanted to add some some additional context because in, in the text message thread that we had going, um, we really wanted to go for people that we trust the most. And I think that's an important qualifier. Like there may be favorite stories um, by other writers that, that may have cracked this list, but um, you know, in the spirit of summer, no flops, no belly flops into the pool here. Um, because there are writers that we really enjoy, but then they've written stuff that just makes you scratch your head. Okay. And so in the general milieu of our podcast, we like to stay optimistic and positive and, and, and things of that nature. So these are the writers I believe that we both trust the most and that we've never read anything that it may have, you know, not been our absolute favorite, but it was never just like, what the F was that, you know? And so <clears throat> the writer that I trust without a shadow of a doubt the most, and, you know, this is not a repeat episode. I promise this is a new episode, guys. Uh, my number one writer is Al Ewing. I trust him uh, so much. Everything that I have read under his pen has been fantastic and spellbinding and so rich in context. Um, I've done a majority of his uh, run at Marvel, uh, nerd commended it in the past, but, um, you know, his, his new Avengers, mighty Avengers, um, his, his, um, his sword stuff has been fantastic. And what he's doing right now in X-Men red is far and away the best comic that I've read in, in several years. And, and some of those standalone moments that you like, remember where you were seated or laying down while you were reading, uh, particularly the third issue of X-Men Red that I detailed in a previous episode with Magneto. Um, and as a Magneto super fan, like that was just like chicken soup for my soul. Um, Immortal Hulk, what more can you say about that title? Um, I mean, like it's it's one of the most iconic, um, not, one, not only one of the most iconic you know, comic books of the last decade, it's probably, I don't know, I'm not a big Hulk reader, but if you ask a lot of people, it's probably like the defining run on the character of the Hulk. You know, Peter David has a very popular run. Um, you know, he's, he's in the, in and out of the Avengers books, but like when you ask somebody, Hey, I want to read a good Hulk comic, I would imagine they'd say immortal Hulk. I mean, it's one Eisner after Eisner after Eisner. Um, despite the attempts of Joe Bennett's, awfulness to to sabotage but i absolutely adored immortal hulk um his loki agent of asgard is the one blind spot that i plan to fix very soon um i somehow overlooked that in my run and and read through of his stuff um and then our homework assignment from a few episodes ago his guardians of the galaxy um 
a franchise that I enjoyed the movies of, but never had really read any comic books for. Uh, I immensely enjoyed as like this space soap opera. Um, I'd never really read a whole lot of, of Nova comics. And so his characterization of Richard Ryder was fascinating for me. I went back and read some, some older stuff just because he sold me on that. Um, but I think probably the best thing that, that Al has written for me, um, and I'm using a lot of superlatives, but it's all just great. There's, you can't strike out here, um, is Ultimates Volume 1 and 2. Um, and that's like a dream team of mine of both like big, like A-listers, like Carol Danvers uh, and T'Challa, the Black Panther. But then like, this was like the burgeoning of like those rising stars like America Chavez. So some great America Chavez content here in the Ultimates books. Um, Monica Rambeau, um, if you want great Monica Rambeau content. Uh, in anticipation of the Marvels, and if you enjoyed WandaVision, like this is some great, great content. Al writing Monica Rambeau is fantastic. She also shows up in Mighty Avengers. And then the we talked about this several episodes ago, probably the greatest underappreciated character in Marvel Comics, and I've got my fingers crossed that he might show up soon in the MCU, maybe the Marvels, because he's a love interest to Monica. Um, Dr. Adam Brashear, Blue Marvel one of the most underappreciated, underrepresented, underutilized characters, just like a fantastic character with so much like rich character history. He's an older character. He's lived through things like the civil rights movement and things like that. So let's, that's just like a, an, an endless wellspring of content. So I love blue Marvel. Um, and then another one that I've overlooked that I'm excited to try is um, his rocket miniseries. Um, I, w- one of my favorite things uh, about the Guardians of the Galaxy um, series that we talked about in the homework episode was his use of Rocket Raccoon as like this wise ass, uh, you know, detective and just like being this point of view character. That's really, really fascinating, exciting. Also, how did I not read the Valkyrie Jane Foster book? Okay, so I'll that, put that on my list too. Um, yeah, so I love Al Ewing, love everything that I've read of his and looks like I've got some more homework for myself, self-assigned homework. Yeah, so uh, I'm not, you know, uh, hugely followed the whole Al Ewing blueprint that you have laid out. However, I have read Immortal Hulk, uh, sort of the the horror infusion of that. Um, I absolutely adored. It's probably um, top two, top three favorite Hulk uh, stories that I've read. I think uh, there's a there's a couple other runs like from the from the eighties that are really good. Um, but this is probably, I would say, it's probably by far my favorite. Um, I did read that Gardens of the Galaxy, and although I had some continuity issues with it, I had a lot of fun with it. Uh, that was, you know, the homework assignment you gave me. That Valkyrie book, though, my man, uh, short and sweet as it is, was so much better than I think any of us deserved. <laughs> like, I don't know why that uh, book didn't last longer, but uh, it's absolutely fantastic, and I think you're in for a real treat. So, yeah, Al, Al Ewing, um, I, have a, I have a lot of catching up to do, I think. All right, Dave, this is should come to no surprise for anyone. What is your first most trusted writer? Well, I mean, if you want Scottish geniuses, where else are you going to go than Grant Morrison? Like, Grant Morrison is the reason that I am a, a comic book reader. Um, I, I've, you know, 
talked a lot about the fact that I, you know, kind of came in through, you know, movies and television initially to the superhero genre, you know, Chris Reeve's Superman movies, the Batman animated series. From the animated series, I made the leap to like the tie-in comic book that was going around at the time. And then, uh, you know, the German market was starting to like really pick up with with uh, comic books again. And one of the ones that was early on sort of top shelf that kind of immediately came uh, to Germany in the wake of that big success of the uh, animated series tie-in was Morrison's JLA. And Morrison's JLA introduced me to to so many things. You know, the 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 comic book depiction of, of Superman uh, at the time. Um, you know, Wally West is the Flash. Uh, Kyle Rayner's Green Lantern. Um, probably the first time I really got exposed to Martian Manhunter. Um, this was before the, the Justice League uh, cartoon too. So I, I was introduced to so many cool things thanks to Grant Morrison. They're they're absolutely incredible. Uh, but it goes way beyond you know something like JLA, which is you know absolutely ridiculously amazing, and everybody should read Morrison's JLA run. Um, but then you have something like. Um, Arkham Asylum, A Serious House on a Serious Earth, which is so uh, influential as a book, um, not just like on the future depictions of, of Arkham Asylum and the Arkham games, particularly the first one, um, but there's just there's such a, a, a massive impact from that book. Or you look at you know the jam piece that is 52 that he you know collaborated with uh, Jeff Johns and Greg Rucka and and, and Mark Wade uh, to to create this this 52 week uh, storyline, uh, which is absolutely incredible and and still stands as one of my favorite event comics ever. Um, or you go to the absolutely cra- absolute craziness that is something like Flex Mentallo uh, from from Vertigo, I think at the time, um, which is absolutely just so um, like immediately like this this mid nineties pushback against this like extreme nineties and the darkness that everybody was throwing in. In, into their heroes and then Morrison's like yeah yeah I'm not doing that I'm doing Flex Mentallo I mean of all things you know <laughs> freaking Flex Mentallo and it is so good it is so good um you as an X-Men fan obviously got me uh to, to read his new X-Men run which I, I absolutely ended up really adoring and I'm legendarily a difficult guy to please when it comes to the X-Men um and it doesn't hurt that he's uh, working with frequent collaborator Frank Quietly on that because I, I think Quietly is sort of um, the best, the best Morrison artist uh, by far. But then you look like at the success of the current Doom Patrol show, and that is directly based on Morrison's Doom Patrol. You know where he takes this this off the wall concept and just turns the weird volume up to like twelve because that's just what Morrison does. And even more, you know, up there, you get into some of his bigger stuff, uh, his Batman run, which introduced Damian Wayne and kind of started trying to integrate all this really weird stuff from from past Batman comic books. Like that was <clears throat> that was from interviews. That was like uh, Morrison's uh, vision statement. They were like, hey, we're going to go ahead and we're going to say everything from any Batman comic book happened. It's continuity. So you want to get weird? Here's the Batman of Zurinar. Right, there you go. It's a real thing, you know. I Morrison just never shies away from the from the, the the weirdness of comic books. Morrison is the writer that is the least ashamed 
of writing comics. Morrison is the most comic book, comic book writer. Um, All-Star Superman just gave that as a homework assignment to you. And it's just, it's incredible. All-Star Superman is, is like the best Superman storyline, period. It's, it's, it's just, it's gorgeous. It's beautiful. Once again, you know, we got Frank quietly back, just the greatest Morrison collaborator. And I'm just going to say it. If, if anybody out there has not read Morrison's animal man, you are wrong to have not read that book. It is absolutely bonkers. It is completely through the roof and it is perfection in every way, shape or form. Um, it's just awesome. So when when Morrison's name appears on a comic book, this is my most trusted writer. No matter how weird or odd it gets with something like Final Crisis, for example, I will trust Morrison, and I have never been disappointed yet. Um, New 52, the best by far Superman storytelling of the New 52, and there wasn't much, regrettably. The best Superman storytelling was Morrison saying, okay, we're going to take Superman, we're going to put Superman in a pair of blue jeans and a t-shirt and a cape. We're going to tell the story of his earliest adventures. And he is just going to be this this powerful, not Superman level powerful, this powerful dude who, you know, jumps instead of flies, just like in his early days. And he's just going to speak truth to power and he's going to fight corruption and stuff. And it was great. It was just, it was so Superman. Like, does anybody have a better understanding of Superman than Grant Morrison? I, I don't think so. So yeah, Morrison is on the on the cover. I am there. They they are the best, plain and simple. Yeah, it's really funny. Um, it's almost like, um, funnily enough, like a language barrier, you know, with with our backgrounds in different languages and things. Because all the things that you're saying about this macro, big idea person and world building, and all these big plans laid out intricately is something that I have in probably all three of my writers that I've listed here, um, if, you, if you really break it down. So everything that you're saying about Morrison and their work is the things that I laud about my list here. Um, you know, Ewing in particular has like this connective thread of characters that he likes to write. I mean, uh, Roberto da Costa Sunspot, um, you know, uh, Monica Rambeau, um, Blue Marvel. And and so like this continued thread, there's there's like a popular online fan theory that like once he would get a book canceled, he'd just bring the same cast of characters into the next one. Oh, you want to cancel Mighty Avengers? Fine, they're going to show up in the Ultimates. And so, um, and then just like the connective tissue from one book to another, like like seeds that they planted in a previous run, a completely different title are going to show up and have a payoff here. So that's really, really cool to see. Um, it was really cool to see with S.W.O.R.D. and Guardians of the Galaxy running and being published simultaneously to kind of see the payoff there. And then from S.W.O.R.D., which, which bleeds directly into... Um, you now X Men Red and and the establishment of Planet Rocco and uh, and everything that that came in there. So like all the things that you're saying about Morrison, I can vibe with. It's just a different language. It's a different publisher. It's different characters. But like one, you know, it's it's the old adage of the the more different we are, the more things we have in common. Once we break through that initial barrier, and so the stuff that I've read by by Morrison, their work, I, I absolutely love. New X Men was like a game changer. There was a serious serious lull and. 
you know, Marvel was desperate, you know, with one of their flagship franchises to have something that kind of broke the mold and, and brought attention back to the X-Men and new X-Men did absolutely that. It was, it was so distinctly different from anything that you, you think in the context in 2001, when that book started, that, that X-Men was, and it, and it, it took a character like Emma Frost, who had always been like a, for more or less like a caricature um, under under certain writers and just this like not a mustache twirler because she doesn't have a mustache but like this this archetypal classic villain as much as you can be when you prominently wear uh, you know lingerie most of the time um, but no complaints there uh, but but taking Emma Frost and you know, making her such an iconic character, having her join the X-Men and putting a different spin on what it means to be a, a superhero and really kind of examining that under a microscope. Um, the, uh, I, I believe the secondary mutation, that's, that's completely a Morrison thing that like, okay, great. You've, you're, you're a mutant. You have these superpowers, but like what happens 10 years down the road? Like you have a secondary mutation. That seems like the next step, logical step in evolution. And that, that was fascinating. You have Beast turning into um, a giant cat man. <laughs> like, it was fascinating. Um, and then, you know, All-Star Superman. I mean, like what more can we laud about that book? We we talked about it a great deal on that episode. And, and I absolutely love it. I told you before we hit record today that I immediately think of those thigh-high boots that, that Lex Luthor was sporting. Uh, just fantastic. <laughs> and, and further proving the villain color theory of purple and green are reserved for villains uh, for some reason. That's just like a popular thing that you have. Um <clears throat> My, my particular favorite issue, and I said this on that episode, was was that um, was the the episode where, or excuse me, the issue. I've been watching shows lately. The issue where you had Clark visit Lex in jail, and then like all these things from panel to panel. I love when artists get creative, and maybe this is more on Quietly part, but you know, as collaborative as they are, is like you have Lex destroying all these things as they're going around or all these crazy things happening. And then Clark is putting out all these fires quite literally from one panel to the next. And like Lex is completely oblivious to the fact that Superman is right behind him in his goofy getup and his penny loafers. Like, so I, I just love um, everything that I've read by Morrison. I can't wait to read more now that I'm a little bit more fluent in the language. Uh, the 10 to 15 issues that I've read of JLA were, were super enjoyable. Um, and if you've detailed this so much, like <clears throat> sometimes, sometimes they were given like complete crap. They're like Crayola Superman. <laughs> like that's like, that's the epitome of nineties comics is like, yeah, it's electric blue spider or uh, Superman. And like, here's they, they, they made it work and, and, and it paid off. Um, and, I, and what I love about it's, it's difficult with the team up book too, to give individual moments. Um, particularly for me as a new DC reader, and seeing some of these characters for the first time, that was my introduction to Kyle Rayner as the Green Lantern. That was my first, it's Wally, right? Wally West. Yes. Flash. First, first and only thing I've ever read Wally West. Flash. I find Flash to be incredibly hard to break into. Um, <clears throat> I can help you with that here in just a few moments. Oh, God. Uh, <clears throat> anyways. Um, and, and, you know, so like um, the mullet Superman, like it's fantastic. 
it's great. Um, so I'm a, I'm a huge Morrison fan. Um, I mean, for God's sake, they got me to read a, um, a Hal Jordan book like that, like that's ever going to happen, but it did. So yeah, I'm a big Grant Morrison fan myself. All right. That brings us then to your, uh, second writer, which I am uh, very interested to hear about. I mean, it's, it's, it's the Godfather. It's, it's Papa Chris, like Chris Claremont. I mean, like, as an X-Men fan, like it's indelible. It's, it's undeniable the influence that he had on the franchise um, and the everlasting effects of like, it's, it's like, he basically for all intents and purposes raised like a generation of fans, like his influence, not only on fans, but like the creators that would follow him. Like it, it's, it's absolutely crazy. And, and so like this universe that he had built of a team, a title that like, we all look back and be like, Oh, X-Men, there is a cartoon and it's so popular and Wolverine and all these characters. But like, when you really kind of dig deep and study like basic Marvel comics history, they were running like X, X-Men was like one of the big misfires by, by Lee and Kirby in that, that silver age, you know, rise of Marvel era, like the early stuff. I'm sorry. The Lee Kirby stuff is not great. It's not their best work. Um, It's, it's, it's very bland. I mean, it's five privileged white kids from upstate New York. It's not really relatable. Um, Not great. And so the book was canceled. They were doing reprints. Uh, I think Roy Thomas came on stands, Stan Jr. Roy Thomas came on to the title and did some work and there's fun issues in there, but like it, it was on its last leg. And then you have giant size X-Men under, um, under Cockrum and um, Len Wein, but then they quickly handed off to Chris Claremont and he fully rolls up his sleeves and makes this title, this franchise his own. And like, it's, it's an iconic run that has yet to be paralleled by um, another X-Men creator and precious few creators across, you know, the history of comic books. I mean, um, those, those 80s books from Claremont, I mean, like that's, that's some of the best stuff you'll ever read in comics as a whole. Um, and then it spins off into the New Mutants, which I'm reading, um, Excalibur, which is if, if you're like into like fan, high fantasy and, you know, like Brit culture, that's a really fun, magical book. Um, but his his main title, Uncanny X-Men, and just the development of those characters, I think we take for granted now what those characters are. We take for granted, we're like, oh yeah, Wolverine's always been super popular. And, you know, other people had their hands in creating the character, but the the iconic run for not just Wolverine but for Storm, uh, for Cyclops, for Jean Grey, uh, Phoenix, uh, Kitty Pride, Nightcrawler, all of that, <clears throat> all of that popular development came at the hands of Chris Claremont, and so it's undeniable the influence that he's had on the entire industry. Um, and it's 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 some of the best stuff you'll ever read, and so. I, I highly recommend if you want to break into X-Men, you want to understand the continuity mess um, that is the X-Men. Um, I highly recommend what uh, doing what I did and that's starting with giant size in 75, getting those new characters and then immediately 
just jumping on to Uncanny. I think it's issue 95 when Claremont takes over. It's an easy, easy jumping on point. And then that entire run is just like set it on cruise control. Almost every issue is an absolute banger. Um, and then, you know, so many times they bring back legacy creators like that. Um, they brought Claremont back after they pushed him out in the early 90s, after the launch of, you know, this the second volume, the adjectiveless X-Men, Jim Lee, you know, was at his pinnacle of power probably, or at least on the rise towards it. And so Claremont got pushed out, unfortunately. Um, but I mean, like that X-Men 1 from 92 is, I, I don't know if it still is, but it was the, the the highest selling comic book in history. So, I mean, like that's, that's an incredible thing to put on your resume too. But so after, after that, they brought him back and, and while those stories for a lot of people did not match, you're not going to get the same, you know, prestige that you got in the eighties, but I always enjoyed those stories. You know, I may not be, have the same, same opinion as other folks, but when they brought him back, it wasn't the same. It's never going to be, but like, I still enjoyed those stories. They did not, they were not flops. I thoroughly enjoyed those stories. So he came back and wrote uncanny in, in the early two thousands. And then he also wrote, um, <clears throat> extreme X-Men, which is often overlooked and people criticize it as being super weird and out there. But like, I really, really enjoy extreme X-Men. It's one of, for me, it's one of the, like the undersold gems of the franchise. And it's just really fun. Um, if you're a fan of things like law and order and like detective books, you get Bishop and Sage being just straight up detectives. Um, it's very much of its time. They're dressed like they're in the matrix, but like, it's a really fun book and it has um, storm being awesome. So extreme X-Men is a great one. So I have never read, a Chris Claremont title where I was just like, that was crap scratching my head. Like what the hell is going on there? I love Chris Claremont books. And even outside of the iconic eighties into early nineties run uh, and late seventies, you know, all those things, all the accolades are well-deserved. It was so formative for these characters of a generation of fans, subsequent generations. I, you know, I was born in 88. So like that, this was, before my time, most of these stories that are, are so lauded, but like it still like develops so many aspects of my fandom and the things that I continue to look for in comics. And some of my favorite characters, like Nightcrawler, like Storm, like Colossus, saw Cyclops, saw their greatest heydays under the pen of Chris Claremont. And so I will always trust uh, Papa Chris. So I have not much to say here because I've not read a whole lot of uh, Chris Claremont. Obviously, as you've mentioned, uh, sort of the claim to fame of, of Claremont is, you know, his extensive writing of X-Men. And I've read, you know, just a little bit here or there, but not a whole lot. So I don't think I have a lot to say here other than what I have read is quite good. But uh, the X-Men in the comic books are not quite a world I've ever gotten too deep into, um, which is, I guess, something at some point I probably have to rectify. One day, I will say that he and John Byrne, who is probably his mo his mo his one of his big name collaborators, um, he and Byrne have some really really fun Marvel team up issues too. I think they're in like the sixties or seventies issues, like the numbers, the num the number like the sixties and the seventies of the. Oh, they they wrote a storyline together on JLA as well, if I remember really? right. It's somewhere in the somewhere in the nineties issue. This is after. Uh, after Morrison left and then after Wade left, I think we're somewhere in the in the mid-90s, 94, 95, something like that. I think a storyline 
kicks off that they wrote together. I remember that. Yeah, and and John Byrne uh, as a person, uh, better left unsaid, but the, them as a collaborative team is is really some of the best stuff that you'll see in a comic book. All right, Dave. Next up on your list is whom? I think uh, it's an excellent time to talk about the indelible Greg Rucker. Um, so Rucker is um, one of those writers that I deeply trust uh, for all the quality that he has produced over the years. You know, this is era of um, of Batman comic books uh, that I talk uh, frequently uh, about. Um, and he was uh, a part of that era, you know, the, the Chuck Dixon era, so to speak. Um, uh, Dixon was sort of all over the Bat books. And in that era, Rucka uh, got involved in some Batman action as well, particularly being one of the uh, architects of Batman No Man's Land, um, which is, you know, sort of this this post-earthquake, uh, every, you know, big natural disaster. Gotham City has been written off by the, the federal government. They're just going to go ahead and let it die. And then no no aid is coming or anything. And And in this situation, Batman is trying to um, with his team, you know, maintain some kind of peace and order. And that's really uh, one of the things that uh, Rucka is just extremely good at is um, crime stories, street level stories, spy stories, that sort of stuff. Um, he was involved uh, in some um, um, uh, some Black Widow uh, over at um, Marvel, which perfectly makes sense. He wrote the original um, Helena Bertinelli origin story, um, uh, Huntress. Uh, this was a uh, cry for blood, a fantastic miniseries. Um, together with Ed Brubaker, he wrote, uh, what is probably my all time favorite Batman adjacent comic book, uh, Gotham central, which focuses on the, uh, police force in Gotham city. And it's just absolutely ridiculous. Uh, so cool you know, divided up into day, day shift and night shift and, Brew Baker writes one and Rucker writes the other. And it's, it's, it's just an absolutely fantastic book. Um, Rucker has a, a very notable run on Wonder Woman. Um, and he is uh, probably in my top three favorite Wonder Woman writers at all time. The standalone story, the Hikatea is probably the most ridiculous. Um, and, and plays out more like a, a sort of a parable than anything else. Um, but also features one of the coolest covers. Like almost every reprint has the same cover. It's a, a, a J.G. Jones piece of Batman on the ground with Wonder Woman's boot on his face, um, which is just absolutely... Like she gets to be- beat up Batman twice in this book. And, you know, it's that's just a fun time when Batman gets taken down a notch. Um, obviously, Rucka was involved with the uh, most recent uh, reinvention of Batwoman uh, together with J.H. Uh, Williams III, um, which is, you know, absolutely fantastically written and, and gorgeous on the visual front. I've, you know, sung the praises of this book many, many times. Uh, and then a lot of Ruckus uh, work away from the big two, uh, like Lazarus, for example, um, like uh, Queen and Country. These sorts of things uh, are just in- incredible. Uh, so if, if Greg Ruckus' name is on the cover, I'm there to give that a shot. So this is interesting because this is one of my glaring blind spots in comic books. I I can't remember reading any of of Greg's work. Um, I will say that something I previously purchased and downloaded and for some reason have yet to read on Comicsology is The Old Guard, um, which is a fantastic Netflix film that was my nerdy award winner 
uh, last year as my favorite geek movie. It was a really it was a really dry year, but that does not you know discount the quality of the old guard uh, at in any form. So just you know based on how much I love that, and it's been recommended to me by several friends as well. Um, the old guard is right at the top of my to read list. Um, just a fascinating concept. And so I'm excited to read that, but yeah, this is something that I've got to dive into because I, there might be a stray Marvel issue that I've read by him, but I don't think I've read a whole lot at all. Yeah. And, and again, some of the, the best stuff that he's done at the big two is, is predominantly DC stuff. Um, if if you want you know a good entry into into Rucka, I would say uh, Gotham Central absolutely, Batwoman absolutely, um, and and anything Rucka Wonder Woman is is probably one of my favorite takes on the character. So I think those three things, and you will be you will be prime Ruckered. All right, Chris, who's your next uh, top favorite All writer? Right. This this one you're going to struggle with, Dave. But it it has to be Jonathan Hickman, um, for the for all the same reasons when you when you said Grant Morrison and the crazy big picture type stuff, this is immediately the person that I thought of. Um, his infamous um, FF and Avengers run, uh, and like the big picture, like I, I did the complete run. I did the Secret Warriors. Uh, I think it was one of my first nerd commendations on the show ever. So the Fantastic Four stuff, the FF, um, all this stuff. Shield, Shield, his Shields is this really quirky, weird book. It's like this secret society throughout human history. Like Sir Isaac Newton is like the evil mastermind of that book. Da Vinci's involved. It's super weird, but one of my favorite like standalone like comics that's like kind of divorced of like larger continuity. Um, his work in the ultimate universe is really fun. Ultimate comics. Thor is great. Um, he did some work on the ultimates, like the last vestiges of that universe before secret wars. Secret wars is probably my top two. His secret wars, not the original original is fun and campy. And it's just like, you know, one of the original crossovers, just like, what if we take all the characters and smush them together? Um, it's fun. But but Hickman's Secret Wars in 2015, the way he writes Doctor Doom is just majestic. It's awesome. But yeah, I understand how this can be a difficult jumping on point for, you know, specifically what he did with Hawksbox and the X-Men. Big overarching ideas. The data pages are daunting to get through. Um, sometimes I just skim them, let's be honest. And I'm just like, what, what, what do I really need to grasp from this? Um, the way he, the way he writes some of my favorite characters in particular, Sunspot is just top notch. Um, and then I think recency bias aside, I think house of X powers of 10 is probably my favorite single like comic thing that I've ever read. It's just, it's such a paradigm shift and turns everything that we've accepted uh, for X-Men and Mutanity, Mutantum for so long and just really shaking things to their core and creating a new normal for this this entire franchise has just been fascinating to watch. I know it's been difficult for you to jump on, but I really think that if you do the earlier run, I think it'll, it'll make it easier for you to comprehend. I don't I don't know if it's a continuity thing for you. I really just my gut tells me it's a Hickman's writing style is not 
the easiest to jump into, but once you get it and the payoffs that you get of just little nuggets, his work with Franklin Richards just pisses me off more what Dan Slott did to him. Um, and just being this like super OP benef- uh, beneficiary of like the entire universe, like this God tier character, Franklin Richards. Um, and seeing him in this vast futures is just really fascinating. Um, his his work with Franklin Richards, I'll tell you what it reminds me of. His work with Franklin Richards reminds me of Rock of Ages, what, what we when we read that way back when. Um, so I, I love Jonathan Hickman. I can't wait to see what he does. I think that he said in an interview, um, and I told you this before we hit record, his, his, his next on his bucket list, if you will, all involves, only involves DC characters. So if he jumps ship to DC, maybe that'll help you, Dave, get his, get a grasp for his writing style and like, and, and maybe that can, can help you here. Yeah, maybe so. Um, like I said, I, I, and maybe it's just that X-Men is just not my cup of tea. Don't hurt me, Chris. Um, but, uh, you know, everything about Hickman on paper sounds like something that I would really get into because, you know, again, the Morrison of it all, you know, the big ideas, the, you know, throwing throwing everything together and, and just like going for broke. And, and that's that's the kind of writing that I really like at the big two. So um, maybe it's just time for Hickman to jump ship and, and give me some DC stories. <laughs> All right, uh, Dave, there's no surprise on your third one. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, we're, we're at some point you have to talk about Mark Wade, uh, another writer that has done some seminal work at DC Comics over the years. And every time that Mark Wade shows up on the cover, I'm there. Um, obviously, uh, Wade is, uh, you know, very uh, famous for working with Alex Ross on Kingdom Come, a sort of, you know, alternate future story that uh, is still to this day one of the sort of the towering DC Comics works that everybody at some point just has to pick up, you know. Um, and it's also very much this meditation on what does it mean, you know, to be a superhero, what makes one heroic, um, says all the kind of things um, that I think people constantly need reminding of when it comes to superhero stories in the age of stuff like, you know, the boys and the success of that. Um, and all the discussions we have have had over the years about what makes a good Superman story kingdom come uh, tackled that a long time ago already. Um, and then uh, Superman birthright, a uh, very, very cool uh, retelling origin of, of Superman, the 12 issue maxi series that we've done as a homework assignment, I believe, um, which I absolutely adore, even though, you know, we did it, of- we did it for um, that one of those early episodes when we wanted to see those things brought to screen. Those are the ones we wanted. That's to see right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And there, there were some, you know, some, some missteps here and there and that, but overall Wade just has this absolutely fantastic grasp of Superman, but I'm here to tell you um, that, uh, Oh, Oh, and I do want to mention this. I've started kind of diving into, uh, wade's um fantastic four very slowly with uh i think mike ringo it is on art um that i've never really you know gotten too deep into but i really want to get me some fantastic four beyond just reading ultimate fantastic four and i think wade is kind of going to be my gateway into that just because of how you know important i think wade is as a writer um but another reason that i trust wade so much and this is where i give you uh your starting point my friend is that that Wade is sort of to me <laughs> the greatest the greatest Flash writer? Um, if you want to get into Flash, I think there is no better place to start 
than with with Mark Wade's run. Um, Wade took over the title at a time when uh, Barry Allen was was dead. You know, post Crisis of Infinite Earths, we had a new uh, Flash, Wally West. Um, some people had done some decent work with him, but Wade is the person who stepped up and basically transformed the character into something extremely special. That you know, a, a character that even to this day a lot of people say is simply the best Flash, uh, even though uh, you know most adaptations don't really do you know Wally West any kind of justice. And I say most. Um, but create Mark Wade is the guy who created the Speed Force. You know, um, told some of the all-time greatest Flash stories, stuff like uh, uh, Terminal Velocity, for example. Um, and then you know, spun off this really really cool series from the Flash, Impulse, which uh, is is basically like a, like a sitcom but with speedsters, and 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 just so so cool. As Bart Allen uh, from the future. Uh, you know, has a heightened metabolism, is raised in like this virtual reality setting for a long time. Uh, then they finally stabilize him. Uh, he starts aging normal. They send him into the past. Uh, so uh, so Wally West basically can help him, you know, get a, get a hold of himself. <laughs> um, he ends up being, you know, mentored by Max Mercury. You have this really young, yes, impulsive character that's a speedster. Uh, trying to slowly grow and develop and, and learn all these lessons. And it's just, it's some of it's some of Wade's finest work. And I think the Impulse series in particular doesn't get a, a nearly enough love. Um, so to me, Wade, uh, as much as, as, as Wade grasps Superman, which is something I deeply appreciate and anything that has Wade's name on it um, and, uh, and, you know, deals with Superman, I'm right there. Uh, I tell you, man, if you want to read good Flash stories, if you want to get that character... Uh, it's it's Mark Wade, man. That that's where you need to start. I'll tell you what, I have read a lot of Mark Wade stuff, and if he didn't make your list, he probably would have made mine because I totally agree. There's no flops whatsoever. Um a couple of my favorite things, uh, I think it's my very first, maybe second ever nerd commendation was his History of the Marvel Universe. That six issue miniseries with Javier Rodriguez's art is one of the most beautiful books that I've ever read. Um, it's like my pride and joy of physical comics, which is, uh, for those of you that know me, I'm not a physical comic book person. Um, digital is just the vibe for me, but like the trade that I have, it's like gigantic. Um, and so like that sits proudly on the bookshelf in my classroom and my, my students are obsessed with it as well. Rightly so, rightfully so. Um, so that's one of my all-time favorite Mark Wade pieces and just the ability to intertwine all those things and and decades and decades upon decades of history of the Marvel Universe is just a really beautiful thing. Um, the other one, I don't know if you've read this, Dave. I've read a lot of Wade's Avengers stuff. Really great, really great Um my favorite, I don't know if you've read this, but I highly recommend it. When I did my Al Ewing read-through, Avengers No Road Home was co-written by Mark Wade, Al Ewing, and Jim Zub. Like, that's a three-headed monster right there, let me tell you. Oh, yeah. Uh, Paco Medina does the pencils. Um, it's just a fantastic story. Uh, got some great Hercules content. Our guy, our guy Rocket, Clint Barton's there, Scarlet Witch, Monica Rambeau, Mabu, Vision, Hulk. Um, so it's a great 10 issue, like mini slash maxi in between series. Really great. 
love that one. So yeah, uh, Mark Wade is an old timer. I loved Super, uh, Superman Birthright when we when we read it for that episode. Um, also, correct me if I'm wrong. He was part of the the Brand New Day team, right? I'm not 100 percent certain if he was on Brand New Day. I, okay. Brand. I, I know he was on. He was a uh, part of that that four rider jam group that did uh, 52 over DC. I'm not sure who all was on the Brand New Day. Yep, yep he was. Um, okay. That's yep, wild. Yeah, I didn't. I, I didn't even quite realize that. Mark Wade, Joe Kelly, Dan Slott, um, Guggenheim. Uh, some of the, the names I'm seeing here, but yeah, I thought so because I was looking at his bibliography and I saw a lot of amazing Spider-Man in the 600s. So yeah. Um, love his work on spider-man he just gets that character i remember um our our friend podcast um amazing spider talk they had him on as an interview and that's someone who just nails the character he did that graphic novel uh family business which say what you want about the Teresa storyline it's still good work i i I like Teresa. i think it's an interesting idea i i I like it there's a lot of people that crap on it i like the idea but anyways um i love mark wade love him also, also, final final thing on Mark Wade, he stand up, he stands up to those comics gate idiots, and so that's probably the highest praise that we can give him. Testify. So we each also uh, picked uh, a bonus rider that we wanted to throw in there that doesn't quite crack our top three, but is so close that we might as well have made it a top four. Who is that for you, Chris? Uh, that would be um, Vida Ayala, whose pronouns are they them. I love their work. Um, I love everything that they've uh, that I've read of theirs. They've worked at both of the big two and some some indie stuff as well. Um, I love what they did with um, Static season one. Um, Children of the Atom was a much delayed book that a lot of people had different thoughts about, but I think um, I've always been a fan of like younger heroes. Teenage superheroes are super fun and interesting to me. Um, maybe it's the fantasies that I had as a teenager, as a young kid, like I wish I had superheroes. And I think that they just absolutely nail this dynamic. So Children of the Atom was a fun little book for me. Um, I'm excited to see Carmen pop up still. I've been waiting on that. Um, and then the work that they did with our our bestie, Steph Williams, on, on Nubia and the Amazons was just fantastic. Um, uh, I probably their best work in my opinion though has been when they took over writing duties with um with uh, the new uh new mutants book uh in the krakoa era stuff and once again they just nail young characters and one of the forgotten things in this age of krakoa i think is like what about the kids like what are we doing with the kids they need a babysitter they need someone to watch them and that's something that they've tackled when others are still doing these big, broad strokes, super heroics, they're like, okay, what are we teaching these kids? Because, you know, they've been used to like the traditional human centric, go to school, learn these things, even if it's a special school. But now we're sitting on an island, we're in paradise. What do we do with the kids? And so they've done a really lot of great explored, explorative things with the youth of Krakoa. Their, their collaboration with Rod Rice is some of the best stuff that you'll ever see. Rod Rice is just knocking out of the park. Killer, killer stuff. The fact that he's not nominated for an Eisner is a crime. It's really just that weird, imaginative, dreamscape type of art. Really crazy out there stuff. It's just beautiful, beautiful, beautiful stuff. So um, Vida Ayala, everything that I've read of theirs is great. Looks like they've got a lot more DC stuff than I realized that I need to tap into. 
Yeah, I want to say that uh, my, my only real exposure to Vida Ayala right now has been um, uh, Nubia, which uh, I have started reading. I'm a couple Finally! issues into that. Finally! Yes! Yeah, um, and I want to say, I'll have to double check, but I want to say in, in one of the uh, DC Pride issues, they wrote a story of um, Rene Montoya's version of The Question, which is one of my oh, all-time man, that's, favorite versions. That is your chicken soup, man. Yes, it's one of my all-time favorite versions of the of the, uh, of the character, and I have to say, um, the story was on point. So I very, very clearly have not read a lot of their work, but I really need to because what I have read so far is definitely up my alley. All right, Dave. You know it would not be a complete episode without showing your girl some love. Gail Simone, you are perfect, and I love you. Uh, like I, I don't even know what else to say. Uh, Gail Simone is to me. Uh, w- one of the greatest writers of, of DC Comics in particular uh, of all time, although she has done other work. Um, I'm really loving the variants so far over at Marvel. Um, she had a really cool run on uh, Red Sonja over at, at Dynamite. Um, but man, when her her DC Comics work is like is like chicken soup for the soul in a lot of ways. Um, even if it's it's you know off the wall stuff like a, a, a Plastic Man mini series from from 2018, which was really so much better uh, than than any Plastic Man story has a right to be, um, or if it's uh, if it's you know all new Adam, uh, gosh, back from the the mid to late. 2000s when they actually had a new version of the character Ryan Choi after Ray Palmer goes missing that that series was so much better than it uh had any right to be <laughs> they were so so very good um but then you know the the big claim to fame over at DC for uh Gale is obviously uh Birds of Prey uh and her uh later run on Batgirl she is by far the ultimate Barbara Gordon writer, uh, by far the ultimate Black Canary writer. If you want a good Black Canary content, it is Gail Simone content, plain and simple. Um, uh, and then, obviously, uh, Wonder Woman. Uh, gosh, man, Simone's Simone's Wonder Woman was so so very good. Um, there's a story called The Circle in particular uh, that is so awesome and and so nails uh, Wonder Woman's characterization. Um, like Simone is just top notch, period. And if Gail Simone's name is on a book, I will read it. It's just like that. All right. So this is in the same vein of the Greg Rucka stuff. I, I I don't think that I've read anything by Gail. I follow her on social media because she's great and I love her general vibes. But yeah, this is another glaring misstep in my reading history that I need to rectify very quickly. Uh, you know, you need to rectify this post haste. You know, Gail Gail is is Gail is the one who popularized the um, f- uh, you know the the whole uh, conversation around fridging women. Yes, women refrigerators. That much I so, do know. Yes. Yeah, and she she's just such a voice uh, for these for for many female characters. I, I think her characterization of Wonder Woman in particular is is so fantastic and and her work on birds of prey took what was a good series written by chuck dixon and elevated it in into one of my all-time favorite runs on any comic book ever like simone's birds of prey is is the kind of flawlessness that just it's incredible man and it is on the entirety of it is on dc universe infinite and you have no excuse my friend you just have no excuse (laughs) 
Alrighty, folks, there you have it. Those are some of the writers that we trust the most when their name is on the cover. We are there reading. Who are some of your writers that you trust uh, that you believe have really not had any flops? Uh, tell us on social media. We are on Instagram and on Twitter at NerdByWord and individually at that Nerd Dave and at that Nerd Chris. After a quick break, we'll be back with some nerd commendations. So stick around. And we're back, and it's once again time for us to sample some nerdy media and to throw out to you what we think you should be checking out in this week's... All right, Chris, um, just tell me about it. I wanted to check this out so bad, and then I got sidetracked with uh, Horizon Forbidden West. So what have you got? <laughs> Dude, it's it's everything we wanted it to be. We've been, we've been clamoring for this game for so long, and I played it first day. It, you know, so it's been, it's been out for a month, but Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Shredder's Revenge was released uh, June 16th, 2022, for Windows, Linux, I don't even know what that is, Nintendo Switch, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and of course has backwards compatibility with the next-gen consoles. I'm playing it on my Xbox Series S, um, which was a really pleasant surprise of an upgrade. I only upgraded because I thought they were going to like stop making Xbox One games, but I'm really happy that I did. I love my Series S. It's great, 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 great. Anyways... Shredder's Revenge is basically like a spiritual successor to those classic arcade games and the 87 animated series. Um, one of the all-time favorite video games of mine is uh, is uh, Turtles in Time. I think it's the fourth one. Um, but Turtles in Time was one of the first Super Nintendo games that I ever had as a kid. I wore it out um, so much so that I was having to eject and blow into the cartridge ad nauseum i love that game so much it's so imaginative it's so cool and it was just like such a formative thing for me and this is the exact same game but in a different um you know environment this is the streets of new york you smash up all the bad guys it's not overly complicated it's it's a, it's a very retro game so i know that that speaks to your heart dave as a retro gamer a retro game enthusiast this is everything we wanted it to be man most of the voice cast from the 87 animated series returns. Unfortunately, James Avery is no longer with us, um, but the, the rest of the cast is there uh, for the most part. Also, I mean, like, it's got the freaking Wu-Tang Clan on the soundtrack, dude, or at least a couple of the members of the Wu-Tang Clan. Um, the Everything about this game from the graphics, the traditional... Uh, 8-bit, 16-bit, whatever, however many bits. The animation is fantastic. Um, the emotes and the sprites are pitch perfect. Like, I, I love this game so much. And I think my favorite thing, and this is going to be more music to your ears, Dave, is the inclusion of not just online multiplayer, but local multiplayer. So I play it with my kids, and I can't think of a, a more heartwarming thing than to sit down with my six-year-old son, my five-year-old daughter, my my preteen teenage kids, and play Ninja Turtles. Like it's one of the things that is timeless, one of the franchises that has had an everlasting impact on my family. 
um, as, as a nerdy dad, I've never been the type that is an overlord of like, you will love this thing. I've just been very, very fortunate that as my kids were growing up, the turtles have had, have had this everlasting impact on popular culture. Um, I'm forever indebted to the 2012 Nickelodeon show. Um, not only is it just fantastic in and of its own right, it came into like prominence, you know, when my kids were growing up, they were toddlers. And so I didn't even really have to work that hard to introduce the turtles to them. They already fell in love with them. You know, my daughter who's now 12 had, uh, a stuffed Donatello figure that she slept with every night. Um, you know, and it ran till 2017. So my younger children, it's, it's, it's on Netflix now. And, um, and so playing this with them has been a really, really just great experience. And I can't say enough about it. Some people have critiqued that it's a very short campaign, but the replay value is top notch. So like, I'm, I'm not here for any of that slander. Uh, I love this game so much and it means so much to me and my entire family. So go play Shredder's Revenge. If you're an Xbox gamer, it's free on Game Pass, no additional cost. Um, I can imagine uh, that it's really fun on Nintendo Switch as well, but I love this game so much and just go play it. Yeah, I'm ready for it, man. I downloaded it already. It's, you know, ready to go. I just have to tear myself away from Horizon Forbidden West long enough to sit down and play it. This looks like something that is really tailor-made for me. One of my uh, earliest gaming memories, and I've talked about this before, how very um, formative the original Game Boy was in my life, um, was playing uh, Fall of the Foot Clan on the Game Boy. And, you know, I was a huge Turtles fan as a kid, and I just played the ever-loving crap out of that game. It's a fairly easy game, and it's not a very long game, but I just kept playing it over and over and over and over again um, ad nauseum uh, because I like a I like that sort of beat-em-up gameplay. Um, and B, I just love the Turtles. So this seems some, like something that is going to be straight up my alley. And it's selling like hotcakes. I think I, I read online somewhere they sold like a million copies already of this game or something. Like it's 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 definitely everything that, that fans of the genre and fans of the Turtles have been waiting for. And I'm just pleased that this kind of style of game and this kind of gameplay and this sort of retro feel is something that still uh, speaks to people. And and hold your horses, Dave, because it gets even better because coming in December, like we waited so long. I even played the Mutants in Manhattan one from like 2014. That was freaking fun. We've been starved for so long for a Ninja Turtles video game. We have the Cowabunga collection that is coming in December of this year, I believe. So it includes all the old classics, the original arcade game, Turtles in Time, uh, the NES Ninja Turtles game, that damn water level. <laughs> uh, Ninja Turtles 2, the arcade game from the NES. Number 3, the Manhattan Project. The Tournament Fighters. Oh, my God. I love Tournament Fighters. Did you play that one? Yes, I did. It was great, man. Oh, So, yeah, all these games. All these games. It's, there's so many more. So many more. That's the Cowabunga Collection. You can pre-order it now. Only 40 bucks, and you get all that stuff. So that's going to be available for Switch, PlayStation 4, 5, Series X, and Xbox One. Uh, I can't wait. This is just an embarrassment of riches. We finally have some... What's that Gordon Ramsay meme? Finally, some good effing food. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. That, this, is, this is great. We're eating good. All right, Dave. I'm really excited to dive into your nerd commendation for this week. 
Yeah, so this is a, a little something different as a nerd commendation, but it's it's a typical sort of me me meditating on the nerd world a little bit. So uh, one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot lately is my uh, my move to digital comic books, uh, particularly uh, for the big two using uh, you know uh, Marvel Unlimited at DC Universe Infinite as sort of the the primary delivery systems of comics to me. And I'm reading a lot of back issues. I'm, you know, reading a lot of newer stuff too, as it, you know, becomes available on there. Still picking up, you know, uh, some floppies occasionally when I'm fairly confident that is something that I'm really gonna want physically. But I'm reading a lot more digital lately. And one of the things I've noticed about my reading habits is that thanks to the access to these vast libraries, I find myself giving things a chance. Um, more frequently and for more issues than I did in the past. Now, we, we all know sort of how the system works when you go to your local comic book shop, your LCS, and, and you say, hey, I'm interested in this book. It's coming out. Add it to my pull list. You know, you're telling them like two, three months ahead of time. And then you're kind of committed um, for probably about three issues uh, to the book at the least. You get the first issue, and you've already had the pre-order issue two and three at that point. Um and then you read the first issue and you're not 100% sure if it's going to be something for you or not. So you say, okay, I'm going to give it the first three issues. Only by the time you read the, the third issue, you've already committed to the first six issues. You know, six issues these days of comics at like $4 a pop. Um, you know, you've already you already shot, what, 24 bucks out of the window. Um, just to try, just to try one book and find out if it's something that you're going to like. And that has made, I think, a lot of comic book readers gun-shy of giving, you know, lesser-known characters or new characters or different properties a chance uh, to win them over. And that that is a problem, and I think that is a reason that a lot of books that are very promising and could be really cool ultimately fail. I'm, I'm looking, you know, at you, uh, Jane Foster Valkyrie, which only lasted, like, 10 issues and is absolutely ridiculously awesome. Um, there are so many things that that fall by the wayside because of that. And then I look at something like, you know, DC Universe Infinite, and I sit down and I read uh, a Justice League run, and the first two issues are okay, but don't really, you know, grab me. So I read another two, and it's all right. So I finish the first storyline, and maybe the next storyline is going to be better. So I read the next storyline, and before I know it, I've read like a year's worth of comics, and then I make the educated decision to say, you know what, this particular writer's run is not for me, and I move on. Um, and you can't you can't really do that very easily um, in your LCS without spending a significant amount of money uh, to try to even figure out if something is going to be for you. And digitally, you know, you you have this 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 set amount that you've spent for the service for a year, um, and you sit down and you just read, and, and you can take as much time as you want to try to figure out if something is up your alley. And if it is, and you really love it, you can go and pick up some trades. And if it's, you know, not up your alley, you can move on and you can figure out um, something else. And so for me, my habit has changed tremendously in that I'm A, sampling more comics than I did before, and B, giving them significantly more issues to try to win me over than I did before. And I'm really glad that I have that opportunity with these digital services that I didn't have before. Um, I, I mentioned before how Manhunter uh, by Andreco has completely passed me by when it was in, in stores because it was a new character, you know, with a, a new legacy character I wasn't familiar with. I was, you know, 
on a budget, I couldn't really give it that much of a chance. And now I was able to go back and read the whole series and absolutely adore it. And so I guess what I'm trying to say is, um, even if you're not convinced that digital is the way of the future, and even if you believe that floppies are still the way to go, I really think you need a digital subscription, if nothing else, to be able to go and sample things that may have passed you by, to be able to really give books a chance to grow, for writers and artists to find their footing, and for you to figure out if this is something you would want to read in the future. That doesn't mean that you're turning your back necessarily on print. It just means that you have the the financial flexibility to really dig into a series and decide for yourself if it's something you're going to love. So for crying out loud, get yourself a digital subscription, whether that's Marvel, DC, or what I did both, um, because it is so worth the money and the freedom to be able to sample comic books at a, at a much, much more leisurely pace. Comixology Unlimited, which after like a free trial, I think it's only five ninety nine a month. So it's, it's, it's a good deal cheaper than the other two, at least monthly. Um, I'm not sure about uh, an annual subscription. And I think I was able to capitalize on uh, some annual deals for both Marvel and DC. And I'm, I'm hoping to do, um, I have so much on my to read plate right now. I'm watching a lot of shows. So I haven't been the last two or three weeks. I haven't read a lot of comics period, but, um, Comixology Unlimited has some, some really cool exclusives by big names in the industry. I think Scott Snyder and Chip Zdarsky are the first two that come to mind. Um, but also like the IDW stuff that I love so much for the turtles is on there at least enough to sample. I think that like a sampler platter is kind of the approach that they have with comiXology enough to get like to whet your appetite before you want to make purchases further. Um, so that's something I, I definitely want to dive back into for stuff at like image or IDW or these other publishers um, that I, that I might, that I might check out again as well. Um, Dynamite. I, I read the, um, the Zorro Django crossover that I nerd commended. Oh, so long ago um, was on there as well, but yeah, especially for someone like me and I've talked about this a great deal on the show before, but like as a, a Johnny come lately to comics, there's absolutely no way that I could do that physically. I mean, it's just not, I mean, like I'd be bankrupt. <laughs> I mean, just like go from absolutely nothing in my early twenties to now I've read, um, every issue of amazing Spider-Man, spectacular Spider-Man, the mainline, uh, issues of X-Men from 75 to the present day. That's not possible in, in a physical comic world. And so I absolutely, I absolutely follow the same model that you do. And, you know, if I read something digitally um, and then I'm just completely enraptured with it, know that I want not only myself to read it, but my kids to read it, my family to read it, or just particularly for me, if the art is just like, just blows me away, knocks my socks off, I immediately run to my local comic book shop and get a physical copy. The The most recent example of that that I can think of is uh, Wonder Woman Historia that I nerd commended several months ago. Uh, Phil Jimenez, like, the, 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 the volume one that came out last year, that, that this past year that Phil Jimenez and, and Kelly Sue DeConnick did, the, the art by Jimenez just blew me away, drew me to tears, and I immediately knew that that week I had to go and get a physical copy. And so that sits on my fireplace. Like it's one of my standalone issues that just completely was breathtaking to me. And as a father of many, many daughters, 
like as as like a women's empowerment type of book i knew that they needed to see that front and center so it's it's sitting on the fireplace mantle in the house right now um with a an, an, an incredible uh cover by um that that's just particularly great uh olivier coipel did the variant cover on that the b cover is just um fantastic and that's another one of the artists that should have made my list on that episode olivier coipel um it's just top-notch top-notch stuff um but yeah i totally wholeheartedly second your nerd commendation i mean it's just it's just such a more feasible and attainable approach to diving into comics and i think one of the things that we talked about dave a couple of months ago when we were kind of brainstorming ways to grow the show grow our brand is we want to be a safe space for newcomers to nerddom to fandom and for some people who watch a show like ms marvel and say i really love this character i love this show I'm interested in the source material. Where can I start? Rather than tracking down a trade or single issues, hey, why don't you try a free trial on Marvel Unlimited? You can read her entire first series. Here's the next jumping on. And and I, DC Universe Infinite is a little bit um, less user-friendly in my opinion, um, but they do have some great recommendations on there. Um, I highly recommend the Marvel Unlimited reading guides that they have. I mean, it's very smart branding. Like right now, if you open up the Marvel Universe, uh, Marvel Unlimited, excuse me, I'm getting the two of them mixed. The Marvel Unlimited app, it says, you like Kamala Khan? Here's five different jumping on points. It's just really smartly done. They know what they're doing. Um, On both cases, it's just harder for me. I've just had more difficulty searching on DCUI, but I love both. Um, I'm still furious that Marvel Unlimited still does not have a desktop reader. Like during my breaks, during the school day, when we start back school, um, having that that desktop reader during my planning time, if I finish up early, I can easily just watch, read it on my laptop. That's super fun. And that's something that Marvel has yet to reintroduce since they retooled that. So that's probably my biggest criticism because a lot of people like to read on their laptops. It's a bigger screen than on their phone. Um but yeah, I love both DCUI and Marvel Unlimited. It's been a godsend, um, particularly as like a all new DC reader. There's absolutely no way that I could have jumped on last year without this subscription service. All righty, folks, that's it for another episode of the Nerd Byword podcast. If you like what you heard, please, please, please find us on your favorite podcasting platform. Drop us a rating, a review, um, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. We are available wherever podcasts can be found. And you can find all of those links in our social media bios. So um, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Nerd by Word or individually at that Nerd Dave and that Nerd Chris. We have done a lot of moving and shaking, folks. Dave has created us a beautiful new website. Um, we also now have merch. So if you want to support, support the show and get some sexy swag for you with our new updated logos, uh, be sure to head to the link tree uh, in our social media bios, and you can find our T Public store on there. Thanks to those of you who have already supported us. Thanks to Lex uh, and Kevin for already buying merch from us. Uh, you guys are some of our most loyal 
customers and listeners, and we love you for it. Um, be sure to also head into our Discord, and if you want to talk about the show, talk about uh, future episode ideas, your own nerd commendations, what's going on in Marvel and DC and indie comics, talk pro wrestling, everything under the Nerdverse, what shows you're watching and reactions to things like the Ms. Marvel finale, be sure to slide into our Discord server. Good vibes only. And as always, stay well and stay nerdy. The Nerd Byword is written and produced by Chris and Dave, two nerds with a love of all things pop culture. The podcast features music by Al Jimenez with additional drops composed by Joe Biondi. Our show art is by Ashery Design. Find us at nerdbyword.com and wherever podcasts are available. Mm-hmm.